Jonathan, do you hear me? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, I'm here now. My uh, computer froze for a second, but I'm back now. Good to see you guys. That's good to see you. And Scott, our program director. How are you doing, Scott? I'm doing all right, Drew. How are you doing? Doing very well. Thank you very much. Glad you're all here. Glad everyone's joining us on this Isolation Tuesday. Actually, we're going to be in isolation for a while, but what better way to... To spend isolation is with, with you guys and, and all of you in our audience uh, joining us. We hope uh, more and more people to join in and, and comment and join the conversation. Uh, we're going to be talking, of, well, actually, someone had requested we discuss, we have a series that we do every so often on hard passages of the Bible. And so if you're listening to us today, whether it's in the, po- the podcast or you're joining us live, if you have verses or chapters or passages that are difficult and you'd like us to discuss and, and talk about, please go to BibleQuest.tv and fill out the form there and, and give us your uh, your requests and suggestions. While, you're, while we're live here on the program, just enter it into, your, into the text box or Q&A box and that'll be fine as well. But however, I'm not even going to tease you with what we're going to talk about because we're not going to talk about that part of the question yet till next week. But we are going to lead into it, and I guess you'll start understanding or get realize where we're going with this. So, Scott, why don't you start off and tell us where are we going, where are we starting with today's discussion? Well, since the question had to do with a passage in First Peter, uh, today we're going to back up and we're going to talk generally about First Peter. And let me go ahead and share my screen here, and then we'll get started into panel discussing that. While you're doing that, let me suggest that those of you that are coming in live, if you don't mind sharing the link to BibleQuest.tv on your personal Facebook page, uh, not maybe at the moment right now, but later on or tomorrow or any day, so we try to get more people interested to, to tune in with us and have this conversation with us. All right, Scott, what you got going? Everybody's impressed with the beautiful title screen there. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Ah. I put that together about, uh, I don't know, 15 seconds after we were starting or something. <laughs> it's just called the store brand generic title screen there. Um, uh, but let's, let's start introducing the book. Of course, author would be who? Uh, Apostle, Peter. Apostle Peter. Apostle Peter. Right. And uh, what, what are some of the main themes in this letter? He spends a great deal of time talking about suffering and persecution and persevering through that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, here's some verses to just illustrate how much it talks about suffering and glory. Uh, if one of you guys want to uh, maybe read the set, the excerpts there out of chapter one, somebody read the excerpts out of two, three, four, five, and on like that. Just kind of quickly, I'll do one. A living hope through the resurrection to an inheritance imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you in this rejoice, though. Now, for a little while, you've been grieved by various trials, tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Then he talks about how the prophets had predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. All right, chapter two. I've got that. Uh, When they speak against you as evildoers, 
they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. When, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly, if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Chapter 3. Okay, I'll get that one. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed when you are slandered. For it is better to suffer for good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Uh, I saw a calling thing coming in. Okay. Sorry, I accidentally, I was trying to change my screen, and I accidentally did that. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. He's throwing a roadblock there for him. Let me finish up. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, gone into heaven, and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, powers, and powers having been subjected to him. That's Christ that when has gone into heaven. You're not going to want to, I have a couple of questions, but we're going to save it because I maybe at the right time you might want to hear the question. But you want to go through all of this first, right? Very good. That'll be good. Okay. Right. In chapter four, um, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. With respect to this, they malign you. That though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you, insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him glorify God in that name. And hopefully people have uh, caught on, but the texts about suffering are in the red and the texts about glorying are in the blue. Ah, uh, that's helpful. Okay. <laughs> oh, I wasn't catching on to that. That's good. <laughs> so, I might have should have pointed that out at the beginning. So uh, chapter five, uh, the same in red, the same <laughs> kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Uh, so let's take a pause here and get the comments that are coming in. Go ahead, Drew. Well, it wasn't a comment coming. It was a question I was having, but it might be out of, order that you wanted to go through this but when i was when one of us was reading your comments in chapter two when they speak against you as evildoers that the they there would be people's people who are enemies of god yes but yet it goes into the blue side that they may see your good deeds and glorify god on the day of visitation yes they're going to see your good deeds and how's that going to strike them at the moment it's going to say you guys are crazy well, hopefully over time, when, in, and we'll get to that text in more detail in just a minute, but yes, the people who begin, who initially, like in chapter four, speak evil because you're not still running to the same level of riot, et cetera, et cetera. Hopefully after time, by looking at your life, they'll say, wow, that's good. And you, you can think of people in, in, in your own life and other people where you've seen this. 
Um, I think of Don and Karen Morris. So they gave their lives to the Lord. And, and actually, his brother was already a Christian. But then when David and Karen uh, gave their lives to the Lord, and Don's brother had previously before that, then it was just amazing the family members over the years that would be, you know, come to the Lord, and another one come to the Lord, and another one come to the Lord, and another one come to the Lord. I'm thinking of uh, another family where uh, the grandfather is not a Christian, the children, the parents and children are Christians, and the grandfather used to look somewhat disapprovingly on rules that the parents had, felt that they were, I don't know, maybe too strict or too hard. But then after he spent some time with his grandkids, he realized, hey, these are good kids. <laughs> you know, you start seeing it pays off. Uh, but let, well, coming back now to kind of just the big picture on this, uh, and I regret not pointing out the blue-red difference uh, before. Um, there's another theme in Peter that's just all over the place, and that is the calling and obligation to be holy. So uh, just start sampling. Uh, uh, you guys call to mind here or read for us some of the passages in Peter uh, and Drew, the one you pointed out has to do that with that as well. Let your walk among the Gentiles be good and holy so that it will silence their bad speech and bring glory to God. What are some other ones? Can you identify that first? Uh, there was a time in my life where I didn't realize that it was me that was choosing to be holy. I thought that was somebody did that to me and appointed me to be holy. Well... Uh, God does, uh, the Bible does talk about that we are sanctified, 1 Corinthians 6. Uh, you used to be adulterers, drunkards, homosexuals, thieves, etc. But you were sanctified, you were, you were justified, you were sanctified. But the sanct and sanctify, why do I bring up the word sanctify when Drew's question was about holy? Yeah, good question, my guys. They're the same word, right? I mean, to be sanctified is to be made holy. Right. You don't see it immediately in English, but I bet you do in Spanish. See. <laughs> so so what, let me let me ask you. So in, in my English language, would that be set apart? That's what it means. That's one of the meanings of that's what uh there's two words for holy in the old testament. One means set apart. One has to do with moral quality of being upright. In the New Testament, you have both ideas. Set apart for God. Called out of darkness in its marvelous light to be set apart and live morally and upright. And so, uh, Stephen, what in, in Spanish, what's the word for holy? Santo. And the word for sanctify? Santificado. There you go. And in, in, in Greek, it's the same way. It's also it's also helpful because the word for holy one or saint is santo tambien. Uh, yes. Also, <laughs> it's also uh, santo. And so that helps us because in English, the word saint just kind of is also obscured. Like that comes to mean its own thing. But right. in scriptures, a saint is just someone who's been made holy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in Greek, you've got hagios if I'm pronouncing it right, is, and, and you, the Greek, the root word of that, depending on if it's in a noun form or a verb form or whatever, or an adjective, 
it's either uh, holy, that part, and, 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 and holy, acting, behaving, etc., holy, or holiness, also called sanctification in English, holy one, also called saint in English, uh, sanctify would be like holify, and it's unfortunate that in English we go sanctify, saint, and holy, and don't see the connection. I remember in Czech, it was all the same root word as well, svata. You know, holy, sanctified, it, it's all going to be based on svata. How about sanctified? Yeah, 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 exactly. Past tense of the verb, same, same root word. So what are some other passages that come to mind, uh, you guys, from this text where within this context of suffering and glory, we have exhortations to be holy and to not live like the world. Probably the most famous one is in 1 Peter 1, where he quotes from Leviticus 11. Uh, in 1 Peter 1, 14, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Yeah, very good. All right. What do you see in chapter 2? In chapter 2, there's another, I think, fairly famous verse in verse 9. Um, well, in the beginning part of chapter 2, he's talking about um, putting away all deceit, being like newborn children, tasting that the Lord is good, the spiritual milk, the pure spiritual milk that you're longing for. And in verse 9, he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the uh, excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And then there's that verse following that we've already talked about with the suffering and glory um, that comes about of being a holy nation for God. Beautiful. And... That, that idea of set apart, you know, this is Old Testament language uh, from back in Exodus. Uh, th this language here, a holy nation of people from God's own possession, etc. Exodus language there of this family of people that God singled out and called out uh, for a purpose. So, so, Scott, that's interesting you brought that up because that verse 9, it is, it's quote, a lot of quotes from the Old Testament. That would be the Jewish... The Jews would be very familiar with those termino uh, that terminology, but this is not restricted to the Jews anymore. This is now for all flesh, all people, Jew and non-Jew alike. Exactly. In fact, verse 10, he, he adapts language from Hosea, I think uh, probably here, to make the point, you who didn't, you Gentiles who didn't used to be his people now are his people, Jonathan. Yeah, and, and that idea, um, so we're going through First Peter and Peter's writings and that idea of being called to be holy, but that's not specific just to Peter. Um, Joe commented um, in Colossians, there's a similar type of section, Colossians 3, 1 through 12, where exactly. in Paul's writings, he makes the same point. You need to put away the evil, be holy, separate yourself. And so I'll just read the first few verses in Colossians 3. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things of the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. So there's those same ideas of, of being called to this holy obligation um, and receiving glory for living through that. Yes. Yeah. 
And then uh, what do you see about just, um, how about in chapter three, let's just take this uh, quote from the 34th Psalm. He that would love life and see good days, refrain his tongue from evil, and his lips that they speak no guile, turn away from evil, do good, seek peace, pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, his ears under their supplication, but the face of the Lord against those that do evil. And then let's just jump ahead. To, oh, let's go to chapter five. And uh, what are some exhortations here just about righteous living from chapter five? And then we'll proceed with some other things. Well, he talks about in five, verse six, humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. And uh, he talks about this idea of humility, you know, being set apart, not like other people. Um, and he also talks about in verse 10, after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You, you, didn't, you, didn't go into, you, you didn't mention verse 7, which I think is very appropriate today because a lot of people have anxiety today with what's going on in, in our uh, society. Casting all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Sometimes we might lose track of that. He cares for us. Very good. All right. I'm going to put up two more charts real quickly and then just open it up. And you guys can uh, start with chapter one and start introducing what you want to do there or go wherever you want here in, in, in the text. Uh, but just highlighting that section we saw before. Here's those red sections, and now I've highlighted the words in those red sections. Trials, tested by fire, sufferings, speak against you, suffering unjustly, suffer, suffer. Some of this is talking about ours, some talking about Jesus's, uh, which it puts forth an example for us. Suffer, slandered, suffer, uh, suffered. Jesus being put to death, suffered in the flesh, uh, Christ, and then we need to have suffered in the flesh. They malign you, fiery trials, sufferings, insulted, suffer, suffer, suffering after you've suffered a little while. And then, uh, highlighting some of the words from the blue, hope through the resurrection, inheritance imperishable in heaven, glory and honor, subsequent glory, glory, glory to God, gracious thing, you'll be blessed. Uh, Jesus, gone into heaven, uh, might live in the spirit, rejoice when his glory is revealed, blessed spirit of glory, glorify God and call you to his eternal glory. All right, with that introduction to kind of give us the, the flavor of the book, who would like to start us off at, at uh, chapter one or pose a question to our audience or wherever you want to go? Yeah, well, one thing, um, I've got a map here that I can share real quick, just talking about who Peter is writing to. Yeah, let's stop my share here. Sure, thank you. Uh, let me share this uh, map here. Um, and this is a map of the five regions that Peter mentions in chapter one, verse one. He describes these people as elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And uh, these are Christians who, who are scattered throughout these regions. Uh, we're familiar with some of the ones in Asia. There's seven churches that are over there. Uh, we know that Paul also wrote to the Christians in, in Galatia. Um, but it's interesting to me to think about Peter, who a lot of his ministry is in Jerusalem and Judea, 
writing to these Christians far away and saying, I want you to be faithful. I want you to, to hold fast to the hope that you have uh, in the midst of these fiery trials that you're going through. And it's hard for us to imagine, I think, what these Christians would have gone through in the first century. If I remember correctly, Peter is writing around the time that Nero was emperor of Rome. Is that correct? Yes, I believe he was. Nero was uh, all the way through 64, wasn't he? Past 64. Past 64. I think he lives a little while longer. I'll be checking that up while you're going, but I'm, I'm sure you're right. But go ahead. Yeah, but Nero's the one that started, uh, uh, well, the rumor was that he started the fire, and then he started blaming the Christians that they started the fire in July of 64, and that's when he started the heavy-duty persecution from the government of Rome itself. Right. And so I don't know exactly when First Peter was written, but if it's around this time, it is hard for us to imagine living under a government that is was hunting Christians like Nero was. And Peter writes to these people in this time who are going to go through some things that are hard for us to imagine. And yet he says, I want you to be holy. I want you to be an example and to be a light in the midst of people hunting you down and, and trying to kill you and destroy you. Um, And that with that backdrop, I, I just think it makes Peter's exhortations to endure suffering while doing righteous things, his exhortations to be holy and to set an example. It just makes those things pop out all the more when you put it against the dark, dark backdrop of the culture that they were living in. Nero's reign 54 to 68. So unless Peter wrote this before 54, uh, which I, I doubt that he did. Uh, yeah, you're right. During the time of Nero, which is a good thing for us to keep in mind. Uh, sometimes you have presidents you like, sometimes you have presidents you don't like, the ones you voted for, the ones you didn't vote for. Uh, Jesus didn't get to vote for any of the Caesars um, here on earth. <laughs> he, he's, and he said, pay your taxes and here, honor the king. And then it goes on to say, servants and masters, even if your master is unjust. Go do it. That's right. Scott, I have a question. Um, in verse uh, five, excuse me, five of, of chapter one, it says, talking to these Christians, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation, uh, ready to be revealed. That almost sounds like a contradiction, because as, Pete, as Stephen was mentioned, the persecution was going to get severe. It was severe. So if I'm being persecuted and being hunted, how am I being protected? By the power of God? God is so powerful. How can, I mean, I can hear people asking this question. Why is this happening to me if he loves me? Where, where does that fit in? Jonathan has his hand up. Let's see if he's got an answer on that. Go ahead, John. Uh, yeah, I actually wanted to kind of talk about this uh, a little bit, and that, that ties in. Um, I, I like reading the letters, um, like all the letters in the Bible. They're, I think, my favorite genre to read because they're just so, uh, I don't know, easy for me to understand. And my favorite part of, of most of the letters is the introduction uh, in the letters. And First Peter is one of my favorite introductions. Um, I'm just, I just want to read it. Um, 
really quickly. It's just, it's just six verses, I think. But in uh, verse three, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has called us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so I think that whole section goes together really well. And, and I, I like the section because I think it's it's helpful for Peter's audience, obviously. Like we've discussed the trials they're going through and Nero being the, the emperor and the severe persecution that was going on at that time. And, and Peter alludes to that. He doesn't say you're not suffering. He says you have the suffering. But it reminds me how he talks about it the same way that uh, Paul talks about that suffering. In uh, verse 6, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. It reminds me of 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and uh, 5, where Paul talks about this light momentary affliction that we go through is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. So thinking about being going through suffering, and, and if God's supposed to protect me, why am I going through suffering? Um, God protecting us doesn't mean that we won't physically suffer, but him protecting us does mean that our souls are going to be saved. We're going to have salvation in our souls and, and nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Um, Paul talked about that in Romans chapter eight. Can anything separate us? Lo- uh, famine, persecution, pestilence, sword, any of that kind of stuff. Nothing can separate us from Christ's love. Um, go ahead, Scott. Okay. There's a comment here from Lori. And then after that, I want us to discuss Bithynia and Pontus and what that rings a bell with, and also touch on our chronology here with the later persecutions of Nero and Rome. But first from Lori, she says, in light of what we were living, are living through now with plenty of camaraderies and support for each other, the above realization instruction is sobering. Thank you, Lori, for that. Um, Now to this thing on, Stephen put the map up there for us. Uh, who's a Christian that you know from the New Testament who's originally of Pontus, of Pontus by race? Hmm. He's I don't remember one off the top of my head. Okay, he's not in Pontus during the 50s, and uh, uh, or at least during the mid-50s, because we know where he is in the mid-50s. He's in Corinth, Ephesus, and Rome. Ah, it's Aquila. Yeah. Well, I, I looked. I had to look it up, so I, I, I defeated. So don't uh, don't think I remember that off the top of my head. <laughs> and uh, uh, Bithynia, Bithynia is interesting when we're talking about persecution, because from history we've got a very important piece of communication between Pliny the Younger, who is the governor of Bithynia, uh, maybe fifty years after this or 56 years after this, communicating with Trajan, who is uh, the Caesar, around uh, 114, 115, maybe 116, 17, somewhere in there. I don't have the dates in front of me. And I'd like to talk about that in a minute. Uh, Let's take a look at what we've been talking about, Nero's persecution. 
Nero's persecution as recorded by Tacitus is not something that we see empire-wide. That's in Rome, he blamed Christians for burning Rome. And of course he did that because people were blaming Nero. And Tacitus tells us that to get rid of the rumor that he was the one responsible, he decided to blame it on somebody that everybody hated. So he blamed it on uh, the Christians and we can talk ties into first Peter, maybe kind of why they were hated. Um, and that's where he was lighting people on fire and things. And really when you're reading Romans 16, that long list of people uh, in Romans chapter 16, those people are in Rome just seven years before the fire of Rome. So probably some of those people are the people that went up in flames lighting Nero's garden. Could be a quote. Uh, really the horrible thing for them at that time. But that's probably later than first Peter and not the area. For example, go back to that list that we saw, the sufferings in first Peter. We talked about sufferings, but usually when it specified sufferings, what were the nature of the sufferings usually in first Peter? I'm not sure what you're looking for with that. Yeah. Like temporary, like even though for a little while you're distressed by yeah. various trials. Being, yeah. Being, 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 and we'll put it back up. Yeah. I, I just uh, okay. brought mine down. So you're good. So let's uh, look to, there we go. Uh, yeah. Are you talking, are you talking about just kind of the verbal persecution, the maligning and that kind of thing? Yes, yes. Uh, as we look through here, and I've got a bunch of stuff in my way, I can't get around. There we go. Uh, notice, like, can you see the cursor on my mm -hmm. Speak yep. against you, slandered, uh, malign you, insulted. Mm -hmm. So this is a little bit more like probably in Hebrews where it talks about you haven't yet shed blood. Um, this, this level of persecution, they're not being burned alive, that, that type of thing, but they are being evil spoken against which ties into why Nero, uh, at, at some point later probably, decides to blame Christians at Rome. Uh, why would Nero pick the Christian? Why not the Stoics or the, or the Olympians or the uh, peasants? Or why, why pick the Christians? Everybody, the populace hated Christians. And why? That's a good were, question because uh, they weren't bad people. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I don't remember exactly, Scott. You probably know better than me. But in the in the conversation between in the letter between Pliny and uh, Trajan, um, doesn't it mention um, some things like like th there's nothing wrong that they've done? I I've observed that only the, all, the only thing that they do is they just gather together on a specific day of the week, and you know they keep themselves from various different kinds of uh, immoralities and things like that. But there's nothing wrong or destructive that they do. They were just kind of like almost uh, separated from society, which is what Peter and, and the rest of the gospel writers say to do, live in the world, but not of the world type yeah. of well, thing. And people notice that. Uh, it was either Tacitus or Lucian of Samosata. One of them said in their, in their recordings that these people, these, these people that follow this man are haters of humanity. Okay. And uh, they were, on a social level, people d d felt that Christians were kind of antisocial. And look at it here in First Peter. Notice the language here. 
Let's start with 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, somebody read for us, please, 1 through 4. 1 Peter 4, one, you said 1 through 4? Yes, please. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. All right. So the type of insulting here is because somebody just put maybe create a conversation. Let's say that all of us are, are pagans and Stephen now has become a disciple of Jesus. And he used to be our bud. We used to hang out. What are some of the things that we used to do together mentioned in this text? Drinking parties. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, if they're drinking, uh, going to the idol, going to the idols temples. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, big times there, revelings, carousings, and if they're drinking parties, they would they would have the flute girls and maybe courtesans come in, and by the end of the evening, we're drunk, and and there's maybe some political discussion, maybe some dirty jokes, and all this stuff. And what's what's irritating now, pagan Scott, pagan Drew, and pagan Jonathan? That's uh, holier than now Saint Stephen isn't coming with us. <laughs> yeah. like, and so are, are we saying, oh, he's, do, he's making such good decisions. No, no. We're, we're mad at him about that. And that's, the, that's just a consistent thing in human nature. In fact, I think that's a little bit, goes beyond human nature. I think that's a little bit maybe what Satan's attitude is for Job. Job seems to be yeah. irritated. I mean, Satan seems to be irritated at Job. And Satan's idea is what? If you take away his blessings, he'll curse you. What's, what's the argument there? What's he trying to prove? That Job only serves God because God gives him nice things. And if uh, God takes away his good things or his health or whatever, then Job will curse God. He's not as holy as he looks. Yes, he's just like us, which really is kind of like the teenage justification when a teenager says to mom or dad, hey, I want to go do such such. I said, no, you are not going to go do that. And the teenager says, but mom, every, everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing it. How many times have people heard that justification? Everybody's doing it. And it works until somebody's not doing it. And when somebody's not doing it, that messes with our excuse. It's the, it's the curve breaker in the class that I, if everybody flunked the test yeah, and one person proved, well, yeah, maybe it's, I, it's not the test problem. Maybe everybody didn't study or whatever, you yeah, know. And so. Because pagan, pagan Scott, pagan Drew, and pagan Jonathan during school were, you know, getting drunk and, and – uh, uh, playing video games all night and failed the test, and we said, "Well, everybody failed it." Stephen got an A. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, yeah. 
so there will be this initial attitude toward this. And so people did despise them. But what's the message in First Peter? There's several even messages. They, even though they despise you, you need to remain holy, remain steadfast, and, and persevere through that. Um, and the temptation... Um, could have been, I think in the beginning verses where Stephen read, the temptation could have been, you know, this isn't even worth it. I just want to go back to my original way of life. Um, but uh, Peter says, no, the, the time is past. <laughs> that's, you know, the time that you've spent living in that sin uh, in verse one, um, that that's ceased. Um, yeah. Now we live the rest of our lives. The rest of our time in the flesh is no longer for the human passions, but for the will of God. So don't, uh, don't go back to where you were. <laughs> Stay where you've gotten to now. Very good. What else? What else? I think it's to keep doing right. uh, Say that question again. What are some other reasons to keep doing right, even when people are speaking evil against you? Well, he talks. He talks about how uh, this purifies us. That that when we suffer, uh, he uses the analogy of gold. Back in chapter one, verse seven, uh, verse six, he says, "In this you rejoice." Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you want gold to be even more valuable, if you want it to be even more pure, what do you do with it? Yeah. You you put it in the fire and you heat it up and that's what causes the impurities to come to the top and you're able to smelt it you get get it yeah get the get the impurities out and then you've got a pure more valuable piece of gold and he's saying your faith is like that these trials are the oven your faith is the gold and it's even more valuable than gold and stronger because once you've stood the test and stood the test it'll be easier to stand it next time jonathan what up uh, we've got a, a question coming in. I'm not sure I completely understand. So if, if we don't answer it right, you can just um, maybe clarify one more time. But the question is, is this a type of control when people want conformity? Um, yeah. I, I think that, that maybe the, the question is when people are, are – are, well, I'll let you go ahead, Scott. It seems like you had a answer. And so, uh, you know, you're in high school or college and, and – your classmates or, or roommates or whatever, and they're starting to booze it up. And they say, here, here, take a drink. And you say, no, no. And they say, what, what's their next words? Come on. Two Everyone's more. doing it. Everyone's doing Everyone's it. Everyone's doing it. And just one. Come on. Just one. Just one. Well, they really don't want you to take just one, but it's, it's like that crevice in the door. If, you, if you're trying to break into something, one of the tools a burglar uses is a crowbar. What's a, what are you looking for to use a crowbar? What do you just a, just a little, little crack. Yeah, yeah. This, this doesn't give you much to work with, but you find that crack and you want to exploit that crack. And I've always thought it interesting that people are more generous with drugs and alcohol than other things of value like uh, gasoline. I've never pulled up to the gas station and somebody said, here, let me give you 10 gallons. <laughs> no, no, no come on, just a gallon. Just a gallon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I really like shrimp, you know, but if you're at a party and there's a platter of shrimp and somebody says, would you like some? You 
say, oh, no, thanks. They don't go, oh, come on, just one shrimp. They're like, oh, more for me. But, but with alcohol and drugs and other bad behavior, it's like you're messing with my excuse. You're making me uncomfortable by not doing it. I want to prove that you're like me. Satan wants to prove that Job is going to turn on God. And, and so there's this desire. So one, it's, and it makes us stronger, like Stephen pointed out. And uh, th there's a bunch of, we've got just four more minutes here. Let's hit some of the other reasons in First Peter, why, even though people initially hate us and resent us for that, why it's important to keep doing right. Here's, I'll throw out one, because it's what Jesus did. Yeah. He suffered for us. When he was reviled, reviled not again. He kept doing right. What are some other reasons? I think and another I reason, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Jonathan. Uh, another reason in, in chapter two, which we already read this verse, but I, I really like this in chapter two, verse 12, um, keep your conduct among uh, the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Yes. Um, this, this is one of the primary ways that we shine our lights, which is another yeah. command that we have. You, you keep living up, uh, separate from the world. There are going to be some people that hate that and that malign you and that despise you. There are also going to be some people that really respect that and appreciate that and want to know more about why you live like that. Um, and so it's a, a major form of evangelism, I think. Two quick yeah. illustrations of that. Uh, some of you will know who Charles Goodall is, uh, uh, older evangelist down in Florida. And years ago, years ago, he had a neighbor that was moving away, and uh, Charles had him over for dinner and was going to drive him to the airport to his new job, new destination, everything later in the evening. And during dinner, he said to Charles, he said, I've always given you a rough time or made fun of you, or maybe not always, but kind of harassed him and made fun of him for his faith. And he said, but the truth is, you've got something I don't have. And I'd like to know what it is. And Charles taught him the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that night before he got on the airplane, he was baptized into Christ. I remember one time a, a young lady, strong Christian, whose husband wasn't a Christian, and he would try to hinder her. And later, when he decided to turn his own life around, she asked him, why did you always hinder me before? He said, and he said, you were what I wanted to be, but basically he didn't want to put forth the effort. And so, you know, he tried to, uh, tried to interfere with that. And I remember one time in Prague, there was a journalist that would be kind of obnoxious in our studies. And then his friend one time told me he's purposely wasting your time, you know? And uh, the, the last time I studied with him, he said, I've given you a rough time, but you have not treated me badly. Maybe the next time you come to Prague, I will be a Christian. And so there's that, it, by keep doing what's right, there's some proof that can be in the pudding. Final thoughts. We've got a minute. you got to finish it out. Uh, I'll end with 315 uh, where he says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. People ought to see a hope in us that is a living hope. And in the midst of the trials we're going through right now, we ought to be shining as lights, uh, being people who have a hope, even when the economy is coming down around us and 
there's all sorts of different things that are being thrown our way. We've got something that is bigger and lasts forever. So much bigger than this life. And we ought to live in such a way that people are asking us, where do you get that hope? I would like that. That's a good note to finish on. Excellent. Thank you. Guys, very good. We're going to pick up next week with the challenging verse that's in First uh, Peter third uh, chapter 3, right, Scott? That's where it's at. That's where we're playing that. Yeah, 318.19, spirits and wisdom. Lord willing, we'll be back again next week. Invite all of you to come join us. Share the link to BibleQuest.tv with everyone to join us as well. Have a great week and stay safe. Thank you.